This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. There's Christmas dinner, boys and girls. Here comes a shooter. Shooter. Big bucket. Well, I'll be at Rudolph himself. Get the camera. If that ain't Santa, I'm shooting. What would you like for Christmas? The dirty point buck. <laughs> that ought to do it. If we shoot anything else in this intro, we're going to start 2021 in a food coma. Ho, 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 ho. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. How are you, Steven? Doing good. Uh, doing kind of being festive. Yeah, I know. It's it's Christmas. It's Christmas yeah. Eve. That's right. How can you not be festive? Yeah. In podcast land, this is rolling out on Christmas Eve. We're all sitting back in our lawn chairs on the roofs waiting for some fresh reindeer venison. That's it. Um, <laughs> Rudolph's dead. You know, yeah, you know. <laughs> we'll see how all that goes. Got the trail cameras all set up to catch Santa. That's it. Cookies are cooked. Laced. <laughs> <laughs> like Sasquatch, the one time a year he comes out. That's right. Well, I thank everybody for joining us here on Christmas Eve and listening to us absolutely blabble about nothing. But yeah, this is the the turning point for all of us where we know that there's only a couple of days left in the regular season for a lot of us because normally a lot of the seasons end what the first of the year, right? Yeah, so right around that first week of January. So what what is better than to open up another season like ice fishing? Sounds you, cold to me. Do you guys do you guys get a lot of ice fishing where you're from? In Arizona, no. No. <laughs> there's, there's none in Arizona. Uh Virginia, not that I have experienced. I'm sure it's possible. I haven't really looked into it because in my opinion, I think we're too far south to trust the ice. That's yeah, I wouldn't me. do that. No. So, Bad news. Well, yeah. I guess you're gonna have to come up here then and do some ice fishing with us then. Yeah, get out on the hut, freeze my ass off drink some beers and catch some nice fish there's nothing wrong with that and there's all kinds of different fashions of doing so but we'll let the guests today take us on that tour of uh the real 
live way of ice fishing. Right. We, we're not the greatest ice fishermen. I mean, I'm personally not. I used to ice fish a lot, but uh, not much anymore. So. Yeah, I've never done it. So. No? This is another one of those new conversations for me. It'll be fun. And I'm sure if I go up there and do it with you, we'll get skunked. You because understand. I'm with you. No, no, you don't. You don't. No, that doesn't happen. <laughs> uh, you're with me, dude. <laughs> yeah, this is true. This is true. We need to crack a lot of that as we, as we, I think this season and this year, we've definitely done so. Um, we've halfway broke the ice. We, we yeah. broke the Virginia curse. Well, we don't want to break no ice. We definitely do not want to break any ice. Touche. <laughs> Touche. This, this is the truth of it. So, Stephen, what what have you been into this week, man? What what's kind of going on in the world of uh, Virginia? So honestly, um, in the world of Virginia, there's not a lot going on in podcast land. I am actually going to be in Arizona at the time this plays out, so it'll be the first time home in four years. Wow. Uh, we had a, a death in the family, so we're going to go. Sorry home for your loss. Appreciate it. Um, we're just going to go and enjoy. Uh, take the camera up get some some video at home to show everyone out here that Arizona is not all desert and that we do truly have the biggest elk in the world uh but that's just me bragging watch me come back with no film either yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get some stuff to let everybody see you know kind of where I come from and what it's like and just enjoy as far as in real time right now in Virginia it's it's just been a grind man just working getting out when i can which has been kind of rare lately mm. and with the snowstorm that's supposed to hit us tonight i got my fingers crossed because like i told you earlier i've got the only standing greens in the valley and if we get two feet of snow i'm hoping those deer come up here to start digging turnips is that is that what you guys are end up gonna end up getting as they're two feet they're calling 18 inches to two feet. Uh, wow. More often than not, I call the weather channels bullshit as trying to excite more panic. We'll probably end That's up That's just with, media in itself. Yeah. Eight to 12 inches yeah. is about the most I expect. I think we're getting less than you, man. That's what we're getting. It's, we're, they're calling for eight to 12. So we'll, we'll end up seeing what actually happens. I know a little bit, obviously, south is getting more. So Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the other day, yesterday, we ended up getting, I don't know, maybe a half inch on mm -hmm. just a random fluke storm, but they were calling for six inches, so yeah. that's kind of how it goes. Yeah, it's nuts. I Things here kind of been kind of crazy. We got a little bit of snow. It's been kind of cold uh, tomorrow, which uh, in podcast real late, I don't know, tomorrow. It's going to be fucking cold, <laughs> and uh, so I'll be out goose hunting, but the, the, I've been wing shooting a ton. Uh, I got a good friend of mine, Chris Brockett, out, who's actually a taxidermist that I uh, hang out with and help out around his shop and whatnot, and he's taught me a lot, and, you know, just skinning and stuff, so prepping good. skins. and. Question, are you going to try to do your own bird? No, fuck no. <laughs> I was going to say, man, are you going to no. dive right in? No. Well, so Chris just does mammals. So he does all of my white tails and stuff like that. So he just he's needed help skinning. So I just go over there and skin and prep. I nice. haven't really – I don't – I'll never get into the actual art of taxidermy or that. My never say never, dude. Goals. I, ah. I said I would never come to the East Coast, and here we are. <laughs> this is the truth. But, um, but no, we got, we got out with Danny – uh, from ducks on the bay yesterday and we hunted 
and we absolutely slaughtered him. We had a great time. Uh, it was Chris's first time. We had Peter with us, Danny. Um, we shot a limit. As always, we watched the boys who are newer at it just absolutely swing and miss all day long. They went through about six or seven boxes of shells to shoot <laughs> a limit, so that was, that was pretty entertaining. Um, yeah, learning do, that lead is an art in itself. And, and I mean, these – it's not easy at all. I mean, the boat's going like this, the bird's going like this. I mean, there's just a lot of movement and stuff and guys that don't know how to lead. And if you stop and you're not spraying, you just don't shoot the birds you should. Um, right. They're, they're very resilient too. Uh, they can take a lot. So if you don't hit them right, they're definitely not going to die. Um, but goose hunting has been phenomenal. They've been on the feed a metric ton. I've uh, been hunting a lot of green fields and we've been doing very, very well. Uh, the one field that we do hunt, I have been hunting, uh, they're up to 74 for the season nice. on the field. So that was pretty cool. And we can only shoot two per person. So they've been hunting real hard. Um, and then tomorrow I'll be up in Massachusetts with another group of guys um, on a golf course, actually, in a country club. And uh, they've been doing really well. So they invited That's me over to play some world. <laughs> yeah. So I got invited over to hunt with those guys tomorrow. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I've been filming a metric ton. Um, it's just tough because you're only allowed to shoot two birds per person. So you can't, I mean, I, I really, I mean, what are you going to get for video of me just shooting my two birds? So definitely going to be a bunch of, uh, of uh, videos to be together cut in yeah and, and just a ton of kill shots i gotta hunt like 25 times just to make a five minute video because you can only shoot two birds so right um so we'll have that that'll come soon once the season gets kind of underway here and i can get a bunch of footage and we'll hopefully put something together oh but, for sure but yeah hunting's been crazy the deer have been absolutely insane i haven't had the time to get in the woods i muzzled or hunted a little bit um and you're regretting that tonight oh, <laughs> yeah, always, man. Like, constantly, like, the past couple of days, man, like, bucks have just been back on their normal patterns, um, still kind of chasing does. There actually was a, a picture of uh, on the 12th of uh, of a buck breeding a doe, so that was kind of cool to see. And uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> we'll we'll uh, I'll probably get on the grind tomorrow. I'll probably get back at it before the snowstorm, and then after the snowstorm, I'll hit the bait zone, start baiting up everything and getting everything kind of ready. Uh, to kind of go hardcore and, and shoot them over bait for the last month of the season because we can hunt an extra month down there. So right, it'll be good. And this will come out. It's now Christmas. So in the next couple of days, probably five days, Devin from Spy High Mounting Systems and his wife Ivy will be here in Connecticut. So they're coming up to hunt on the first, second, and third. So awesome. We'll have some cool shit going. So pumped for that. Good things going, man. Deer season's over and everyone goes, oh, now it's time to relax. Nope. Things nope. get fucking busier. <laughs> just, just switch seasons. It's never ending. It never ends. So, but I think um, I hear something coming in. Is, is that the clinking and clanking of reindeer? It almost sounds like it. What the heck? What is going on? Let me turn that shit up. Oh, there it is. Hey everyone, Mike here with some holiday news for your cruise. So for any of you last minute shoppers out there, um, me included, 
Vermont Fish and Wildlife has you covered for the perfect Christmas gift for anyone who hunts or fishes. Uh, you can now purchase gift certificates from the Vermont Fish and Wildlife Department. Uh, these can be purchased online and must be redeemed online toward the purchase of any eligible hunting or fishing license. Uh, and the gift certificates are also transferable. Uh, so if you're looking for that last minute gift for your favorite news guy or get one you just aren't going to use, uh, you know, just saying, I do love to hunt Vermont and I'd appreciate you looking out. So uh, moving on, uh, did you know that Santa's sleigh doubles as a bass boat? Because I sure as hell didn't. Um, and apparently uh, he loves getting after some some bass just before Christmas time. Uh, according to Ugly Stick, who held Ugly Stick's world's largest Santa Claus bass fishing tournament last weekend in Lake Norman, uh, on Lake Norman in North Carolina. The bass tournament uh, boasted 300 Santas and raised over $15,000 worth of donations for Toys for Tots. So I guess Santa will have a few more toys in his sleigh this year. Uh, thanks to all these great anglers that came out for this cause. So now with Christmas here comes probably the shortest hunting season of the year, the all-important reindeer season. So if you've been slacking, you still have a couple hours to get ready um, and see if you can uh, get those presets in on your chimney. Uh, and do not forget to hit up that local tractor supply or shields or whatever you have close by for that reindeer corn. Uh, that is if you are in a bait zone. Unfortunately, my ass is not, and I can't go get that. But go find that green bag, that reindeer corn. Um, forget the general deer and wildlife corn. That's just, just not going to cut it this time of year. Uh, you need that green bag, that reindeer corn. Go get it. I hear supplies are running low, so go now. Only a couple hours left. Also, for reindeer season, you guys got to use all the tools in your toolbox. Pro tip, what I'm hearing, uh, get on those Santa trackers. Every new station has one. The kids watch them. They're easy to get to, and it is the best shit since Onyx. I'm telling you, you want to know when they're coming through? This is going to tell you when they're going to be there so whether it's a chimney hanging bang or swinging from the saddle get up there and send it so and if you are lucky enough to punch that tag um send it on down to trev well but word has it santa's already dropping a pile of reindeer bone on him for the beetles so don't be surprised if your ass gets kicked to the back of the line kind of like me um but send it there so that's it for your holiday news. I know I'm not funny, so go easy on me. Uh, and everyone have a very Merry Christmas. Uh, and enjoy the rest of your sleigh ride. Oh, Mikey, you never seem to amaze me, buddy. Thank you for the news for your cruise, bud. <laughs> I guess I got a lot of work to do. Oh, man. Well done. Well done. <laughs> well done. <laughs> oh, well, what do you, what do you say, Steven? Yeah, let's uh, spread some holiday cheer with some, well, it's kind of late if you're looking for gifts at this point, but maybe Santa will bring you a little something from uh, some of those people that support us. We hope so. Why so, don't you run them down? 
Timber Tumblers. Hopefully somebody, your loved one, bought you a Timber Tumbler from Jason out of Timber Tumblers. You can check them out on Instagram and uh, and on our website. Uh, the uh, What is our website? Theoutdoordrive.com. Is it theoutdoordrive.com? Theoutdoordrive.com. The link right. is in the description. All right, perfect. So you can get on there and check out all of our sponsors, get all the links to wherever you need to go, whether it is Timber Tumblers or it is Nor'easter Game Calls, nor'eastergamecalls.com. Go and check them out. Get them in close. Get all of your custom gifts for, uh, for all your loved ones over there. Uh, some cool things coming out uh, you guys will be able to see soon. Also, Broadside Camo, broadsidecamo.com, the photorealism camouflage. Wild Edge Inc., wildedgeinc.com, the leader in mobile hunting. They also have some really cool um, products coming out soon, the Battlement and their new saddle. Yes, also, um, Wicked Twisted Bowstrings, wickedtwistedbowstrings.com for all your custom bowstring needs. And who am I missing? Hmm, doing the head count using my fingers. I may have to use my toes. And when um, I get to my toes, I realize I'm wrong. Um, so, that's all of them. Out on a limb. Limb manufacturing. Out on the limb <laughs> MFG. How could I forget? I knew we were missing one because I didn't get to that last finger. <laughs> I try not to look in the handy dandy notebook, but um, out on the limb manufacturing. If you guys haven't checked him out, go check him out. It, you guys got to give Trev a break. He's on eggnog tonight. <laughs> I guess <laughs> it's actually a smoothie, but <laughs> we'll go with it. <laughs> uh, that's funny. I got to get back on the diet because I know after the holidays, um, it's it never gets good. When, oh, yeah. when you're eating all the craziness. Well, of, you, uh, you eat and you sit in a duck blind and you eat and you sit in a duck blind and you eat while you're in the duck blind and... You know, you sit and <laughs> oh, absolutely. And then you're working in the shop. You're not really doing much, not really moving around most of your hand stuff. Uh, you know, it's bad when your wife leaves cookies and candy all over the place in the house. And it's like, stop doing this because, you know, they make the ones, the little ones with the, with the chocolate chip kisses in them, not chocolate chip, the, the chocolate kisses in the middle of the peanut yep. butter. And then you got the little tiny, um, shortbread ones that look like stockings and you got it's just stop doing that shit dude it's so annoying like i'm on a diet i can't be eating that stuff stop drives me nuts and then there's always the you know the truffles and this that and the other thing and they have them in little dishes it's like i can't do this no more so and of course you grab a handful to go to the duck blind and and eat so yep and it is, but yeah i feel you yep um speaking of soon um, on our YouTube page, me and Steven have been talking about it and we have something new coming up. Um, uh, we're going to boost up a little bit more content on the YouTube side with, um, two times a month, um, product review type podcasts. So it'll be like a 30 minute video podcast with just, uh, products or newer products that are coming with the manufacturers, with the manufacturers. So we can kind of see, so we'll start off with our sponsors. And we'll go through them and then we'll move on to other products. If there is a product that you want to see or potentially would like to share, if you're like a product manufacturer, uh, just reach out to us, outdoordrivepodcast at gmail.com or on any of our social media platforms. We would love to talk to you 
um, and have you on. So if you guys have anybody in mind, um, get a hold of us and we will get in touch with them. So yeah, hopefully we can uh, get some good previews with you know all the big shows with ATA with all the classics, everything getting closed down. Hopefully this is a, a good alternative that we can get you information on products you're interested in. I did just learn that the um, Nebraska Deer Classic or whatever we want to call that one is still on. Iowa Deer Classic is still on. Wow. Okay. Hmm. I could have just, oh, no, yeah, that was I the could. Illinois show that shut down, didn't it? Yeah. Well, Illinois and Iowa are the same person. That puts them on. Yeah, it just comes down to state regulations because of the, the freaking China virus. Yeah, so I guess that the Iowa Deer Classic still on, so um, you may actually see our shining faces there. Possibly. It's a possibility. So. Unless Trev gets locked down in Connecticut. Oh, uh, no. They, <laughs> I've been to so many other states and not had any problems, so I'm not really worried about it. I'm leaving whether they like it or not. So. <laughs> Fair game. Really I'm over it. Fair game. Well, let's get on somebody who wants to tell something way more useful than what we're about to talk about. I agree. I got a feeling that uh, I'm going to need to get a heated seat for this one because my butt's already cold thinking about it. (laughs) Yeah, let's let's turn it on. All right, brother. Here we go. All right. We're back on the phone with Jason Mitchell. How are you, man? Good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to. Uh, you're on the drive, <laughs> literally. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm riding shotgun, so yeah, I'm not driving long distance. But yeah, we're just on our way home. We're out in Montana doing some fun uh, trout stuff through the ice, and uh, yeah, just uh, that time of year where we're just getting out and about and you know, trying to find safe bites is probably the biggest things. Right. Yeah, we were talking about that on the intro. Trev asked if there was any ice fishing in Virginia, and I said, even if there is, I don't know if I trust the ice. <laughs> yeah we're a little you know, too far uh, south yep you know three weeks ago we, well we've been ice fishing for about three weeks up where i'm at north dakota and places but uh you know, there's still some dangerous areas i just heard and i don't know much about this tragedy but evidently a younger kid died or drowned in devil's lake area yesterday wow. fell through the ice and still i don't know much about it but i've been ice fishing back home quite a bit and you know, we've got six, seven inches of ice in places, but there's some really bad cracks and pressure ridges and things like that that create bad ice situation. I'm sure that's what he drove into. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, you definitely you know, have to think safety first and foremost. Absolutely. Well, before we get too much into it, why don't we turn this key and uh, why don't you explain who you are, where you're from, and, and what you do? Well, my name is Jason Mitchell. I live up in Devil's Lake, North Dakota. I guided up there for many, many years, you know, ice fishing, Michigan, waterfall guiding, and then uh, did that for about 15 years. And then about 12 years ago, I got the opportunity to get into the television industry. So I've been producing tele- outdoor television the last 12 years. And uh, yeah, we just, you know, I guess our, our ammo would be that we just promote fishing, promote hunting opportunities, and uh, try to motivate people to get outside, you know, show them where to go and what to do and how to do this. Awesome. Absolutely. And and where can they kind of find some of your content before we get too much into it? Well, you know, on television, we hear of Fox Sports North and Fox Sports Midwest and then uh, station called Midco. But uh, a lot of people watch your stuff on YouTube, you know, if you're just streaming it online. I mean, I, I would guess that YouTube or some type of 
video streaming online will, will replace cable television as we know it fairly soon. So. I agree. Absolutely. What's your, what's your channel on YouTube? Uh, Jason Mitchell Outdoors. You just search Jason Mitchell Outdoors and pop right up. Awesome. That's awesome. So so what have you been fishing for thus far throughout this season? Well, so far we filmed a, an early ice walleye bite on you know, around Devil's Lake. That was the first episode, ice episode that we produced for this season. And then we were over in northern Minnesota over by Park Rapids and filmed a panfish, big crappies, really worth their attention. And we caught some pretty nice bluegills. And we did that last week, and then now we're out in Montana here this week. And so we're just getting like, – Northern Minnesota, there's a lot of places where you can ice fish. Um, you know, big parts of Wisconsin, and they're still not on the ice yet. So it's just a kind of a small area right now where we're seeing safer ice, where people can walk out or, or take ATVs out or side by sides out. And then, you know, we've been ice fishing around home for quite a while, but it's just been so nice during the day that we've been just stuck on you know, five, six, seven inches of ice for a long time. Normally, you know, people will be driving full size vehicles on the ice by now, but we're just so what do you, what is what is safe ice to you like when what would you recommend that somebody would start to go out on the ice well there's a, there can be a lot of variables and, and i think the biggest thing is do your own diligence in the sense that people will get a report you know ah, there's safe ice on such and such a lake well yeah there might have been for one person in one bay but it could be different somewhere else and so always do your own due diligence you know uh for myself, I like to have three inches of clear ice to walk on. Okay, there's people that will say less, but I'd say three inches of good ice to walk on. Uh, if you're taking, a, a say, a four-wheeler or a, a lighter side-by-side, some of these side-by-sides are going to get the weight of a small car. Or a snowmobile, you know, I, I recommend you know, six, seven inches, which is plenty. And for driving vehicles, I like to have 13, 14 inches of good clear ice. Now, there's charts and things that will say a little less, but, you know, you know, and, you know, biggest thing though is making sure that you, you, know, you check the ice. So clear ice is obviously strong, really cloudy ice. Uh, I like to have a spot bar. That way I can chip the ice in front of me as I go, kind of make a trail, you know, like get out there and follow back. I always have my GPS on, so I've got my plot trail, you know, so I can take the exact route back, you know, and, and just, you know, be diligent, you know, be careful. You know, don't just cross cracks, you know, I mean, check them first, you know, and you're not only in those cracks, dangerous but they can widen up or open up and you know, wind can change things so i think you just have to be observant and diligent you just kind of know what 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 is safe and what isn't you know and, and not take any chances right are you carrying like what what would you recommend for some safety gear for somebody to carry with them when they're out ice fishing well i, I you know the suits that we're wearing now are you know the float suits you know i mean i, I wear just a clam lift suit or rise suit you know that way if you do fall through you you fall you, you, you float uh, just having a throw rope, uh, just even having a screwdriver in your pocket, or you know, a lot of times we'll wear picks around our neck that we can pull apart and stick into the ice or poke into the ice. And, uh, you know, ice cleats, I mean, realistically, if you're, if you're doing your due diligence, you're probably more likely to get hurt falling on the ice than you are falling through. Okay? And so ice cleats are important early ice when you're just walking out, you know, and, and stick with things that you know, you know. Uh, try to know a lake good enough where you can walk out a short distance or short be on a pretty good spot. Know if there's culverts, for example, or springs. Springs and culverts, bridges, causeways, moving water is always bad ice. Stay away from that stuff. You know, just, you know, 
there's some areas that are just no good ice every year because of you know, lack of current or you know, protection. And, uh, you know, and, and if, if anything, ask around, you know, go to your paint shops, your tackle shops, and, you know, find as much information as you can so that way you can make good, smart decisions. Because ice fishing is a fun, great activity. More and more people are getting it all the time. The last 10 years, I think it's been like the fastest growing segment of the entire fishing industry. It's very, very safe. But it's just like anything else, right? I mean, bass fishing in a boat can be really dangerous if you don't use your head, right? right yeah. And so it's like anything else. you got to use your head. you got to, you know, ask the right questions. So that way you've you got the information to go on. So. Gotcha. Well, it's like deer hunting and getting up in the deer stand. I mean, it's always... It's always dangerous every time you leave the ground, but you make sure to wear the harness, right? So absolutely, ice fishing. Same, same thing. You, yes, absolutely. Good deal. So, so I guess why don't we why don't we take a break from kind of the safety side? Why don't you explain a little bit? You know, kind of like, you know, what what you do or what what your past and kind of with with fishing and and ice fishing and stuff. Yeah. Well, what drove well, you to want to do it? Well, that's all I've ever loved. I mean, I I. Loved fishing and uh, loved ice fishing, and uh, I kind of got lucky in the sense that I, I probably got started at the right time, in the right place at the right time. And I was guiding on Devil's Lake when I started pretty young, and Devil's Lake just kind of blew up the right when I was, you know, really coming into my own as a young man, and I became a real famous, you know, fishing destination. I'm trying to, there you go, up that sun, sun's coming through the mirror there again. And uh, anyways, we're uh, just in the right place at the right time and I love fishing and I love taking people fishing I guess and I, and I, I always told you about guiding is that there's probably people that were way better at fishing than I was but I think what I had going for me is I was patient you know people would do things wrong they would break something you know lose a fish whatever and I just didn't get real worked up about it and I was I just found that I had a knack for that I was patient I could deal with you know things that probably annoy some people and uh, you know this hot fish you know when we had to and, and started getting a lot of media attention and then that led to sponsorships and you know, some, uh, relationships in the industry that way and just one thing led to another you know and so it's been a great ride it's all i've ever done my entire adult life is self-employed in the fishing industry so. that's awesome man how was it guiding like bringing people out and, and, and that, like, what, what were some of the positives that you, you kind of took away from that? Well, I, you know, obviously I love fishing, right? So I got to fish every day on a phenomenal fishery. You know, the highs are highs and the lows are low. Uh, there's ups and downs. I mean, you get two or three tough days where the weather's tough. Uh, you get, you know, things going on where maybe you get some people that uh, you're not meeting their expectations. You know I mean? So not every day is rolling. You know, when you're a guy, Day. I mean, there's, there's good and bad, but uh, I loved, you know, showing people a great time fishing, you know, and, and, you know, many, many times where, you know, they hadn't had great fishing before, they just didn't really, you know, or they wanted to learn more about it, you know, just go out there and just get it out of the park, you know, and, and then, you know, the same people have come up every year, year after year, you know, there's students I guided for more than 10 years, you know, and watched their kids grow up and stuff, and every year they'd come out and have a great time, you know, so I love that, I love, you know, just the, the relationships, you know, I mean, you have to also like people, you know, I, mean, I know some really, really good anglers that, you know, we've tried hiring some of them over the years, it just didn't work out, guys, I mean, they were phenomenal anglers, but they didn't like people, 
know, and, yeah. uh, you have oh, to yeah. join people to, you know, to, to be a guide. But I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, there's a lot of great stories from this, you know, taking people out, you know, experiences with phenomenal fishing, you know, and, and just, uh, I got to see guys taking their kids out for the first time, uh, people taking their parents out for the last time, you know, a lot of in between, you know, and just a, just a really great experience from this. Nice. So I, I got to ask, during all that time, what was the craziest thing you ever experienced out there? Oh, man. I mean, there's so much because you're out there every day. And, I mean, you just you see, you see all kinds of Damn. Got a little technical difficulty here. He's still there. It's yep. it's trying. It's yeah. trying. <laughs> That's what happens when you're on the drive. I can, yeah, I can, I can oh. hear you guys fine. Okay. There you are. Gotcha. Yeah, you're, you're just back. breaking up for a second. <laughs> so okay, <laughs> I'll tell you one. I'll tell you one crazy story that just pops up pops up in my mind. I mean, there's a hundred of them, thousands of them. But I remember one time I was driving across the lake and um, just going along, I, and I see something way up on shore, and it's really a windy day. It's you know, like 25 of our wind, there's two and a half, three foot rollers going across the lake, and I've got people in my boat. And I'm going along, and I see this light green blue thing floating up on the shore. And I, I couldn't tell it was like a like one of those plastic swimming pools or what, but something was up on shore. Then I saw something waving. And, huh. So I drive up to it, well, here it's a boat that's swamped, like an old boat, like an old fiberglass boat that's probably 14 foot long, and they had motor trouble. And normally, you know, I mean, you know, sometimes my stuff isn't always jib type shape or uh, what's the word? Uh, ship shape. Okay. I, I have to, it's two guys that are in trouble. They're waving. And so I pull up and I got to throw a rope to them to try to pull them off the rock until they get completely destroyed by the waves. And so I, I take my anchor rope. Probably there's all kinds of knots in and all kinds of stuff, whatever. It was almost like a miracle where one threw over the rope, I threw the rope and landed there, landed where they could grab it, and then they tied it off to the boat, and then they pulled, and I pulled the boat, followed the boat into the wind with my boat, and they were able to get the water out of it, well, then I pulled them back to the resort. Well, I ended up guiding those guys for like two or three days after that, so it worked out great, right? I feel like the rest of the week. You know, this is when I was young, I was like 21, 22 years old, you know, just trying to keep going, trying to get where I was going every day, you know, and I remember uh, saved a lot of people you know, as far as pulling boats back from shore, finding boats that were about sunk. Or, you know, I, I came by the lake one time, coming by the lake one time in a, in a, in a really bad storm. You know, it was so bad. I mean, it was just like my face pushed up against my GPS, just trying to get home. I couldn't see hardly anything. This really freaked me out. And the rains beat me in the face and stuff. And I just, you know, just trying to get home. And I look up, and right in front of the boat, there's an upside down aluminum boat floating. And, and it just blended right in. I mean, I, I barely saw it. And I, I it just, you know, the, there's like three, four foot waves, and we're just getting battered. You know, we're having, we have to go to crosswind and stuff, and we're just getting beat up. And uh, I, I just freaked me out. So I didn't know if anybody's in the water or what. And when, then when we slowed down to try to assess the situation, we just got doused, you know, with waves and coming over the bow, uh, hitting the bow and stuff. And just an ugly day. Well, here, Nobody got hurt, but 
that boat got flipped over and swamped, and then the people end up swimming ashore. By then, the you know, highway patrol and they've already been called out there and stuff. But I didn't know that. I just came, you know, driving up on that boat. <laughs> Freaked me out. But uh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. a lot of stuff like that over the years. You know, crazy. It's nuts. So I I work on a charter fishing boat here in uh, Connecticut, and we're on the ocean all the time. And it's crazy the stuff that people do and, and that they would go out in the ocean with these small boats and get swamped or flip over or yeah. whatever. I mean, I, I remember this one time we were coming in and there's this place that's called The Race. And it's like one of the most dangerous places in New England on, you know, because it's where the Atlantic meets the Long Island Sound. And it's like 300 feet and it comes up and it's just these high currents. So this guy had like a 14 foot flat bottom skiff boat and he's out there. And he ends up getting caught in a lobster pot and it flips the boat around and it completely swamps it. And it's completely over on end. Well, he had his 14 year old son with him at the time at, thank God it was a weekend and there was a ton of people out there, but you just see it all the time. These people just, they don't have a clue what's going on. And I can only imagine being on big lakes. It's almost the same. Yeah. Just, they don't know. know, I mean, they don't respect it, I guess. You know, I mean, and the thing is, too, is that accidents can happen to anybody. I mean, one, one, uh, you know, fifty cent fuse in your motor, or you're losing power, trim, your motor trims up, and you turn into a bad day. You know, things pile on top of each other. You know, so I guess I, you know, there's been times where I've needed help too. I, I can never drive by somebody and not help them. Right. Plenty of times where people help me. You know, and, and uh, yeah, is you do when you're out there every day, you see. Yeah, it's nuts, but it's fun, man. It's it's what keeps you going back, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. So, as far as like ice fishing goes, man, when you when you're going to dissect a lake and you're gonna go say a new new body of water that you've never fished before, what kind of things are you looking for? Like, are you looking for a structure? Are you looking for like say when you're walleye fishing, for example? What what do you what are you looking for? Well, first off, I'm looking for fish in the sense that I I like to go to lakes that have a lot of fish. Okay. I mean, I get 20, I'm, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, I probably get 20 emails at least and maybe you know, this many messages on social media each week even about, hey, I live in Bullhead Lake in southern Iowa, I've got a cabin there for 40 years and I've never caught a wall over 20 inches, help, what am I doing wrong, you know, they like, well, you got to go to a different lake, <laughs> you know, and so <laughs> that's the big thing, right, is you got to, you know, I like to try to find lakes that just have a lot of fish in them. They're just cycling and trending in the right direction. You know, some lakes are hot, some lakes aren't. So, you know, you try to try to land on good bites that way. Um, I try to gather as much information as I can about the lake before I get there. Even if I just keep calling people that I know or calling people that I know that, you know, put in time on the water, just try to get an idea. Because every lake sets up so differently. I mean, we have flat, shallow, basin lakes that have no structure that are no less than no deeper than 10 feet and there's other lakes that have a lot of structure that are 100 feet deep you know like one lake might have you know invertebrates as the primary forage or young of your birch while the other lake might have food of each or systems or something but cool water aging bait fish you know uh reservoirs can fish completely different than natural lakes you know and, and fish that relate to weeds are completely different than fish that are unstructured and on top of that you know you've got you know stained water versus clear water you know so there's so many different variables that really affect where you, where you think you're going to find fish. And so I try to gather as much of that information as I can before I ever go anywhere. At least I can try to wrap my head around, you know, 
look at maps and things like that and just try to, you know, uh, you know just get an idea. And then from there, you know, once you get on a body of water, you know, obviously, you're, you know, a lot of times walleye fishing, it's, it can be very structure orientated. And, um, you know, a lot of times you'll see where people have been catching fish where they've, where they've been fishing. And what I find is that if you join the crowds, you know, after, after, you know, people have been on that spot for a day or so, you know, the spots only get worse. You know, so I like to try to find my own fish and do my own thing and be the first person on the spot. So a lot of times I'll just try to find areas and try to identify things that look similar where it looks like people have been catching fish that people just haven't gotten to yet. That makes any sense. And usually the first people to land on fish, you know, especially in the wintertime, you know, first holes above those fish are some of the best holes to land. By the time a crowd gathers, you know, the bite Gotcha. So do you do a lot of night walleye fishing or a lot of day walleye fishing? Do you find one's better than the other or? You know, I like to fish at break of day if I can. You know, I'm like anybody else. I like to go to bed at some point, you know, but I love to fish at night if that's what it takes. But there's some lakes, a lot of lakes where you have to fish after dark. It's just the way it is. Um, not always. I mean, like where I live on Devil's Lake, you catch fish during the day. Lake in the woods, you catch fish during the day. Lakes that have some type of stain or color in the water, you fish a lot better. In most lakes, even if they're really clear, you know, you've got that sunrise, sunset window that really is you know, one of the prime times, you know, but there's some lakes where you just, you know, and if you're going to, if that's going to happen randomly throughout the night, you know, I tell you what, some of the most successful people are sleeping out in a hard sided fish house with the rattle wheels down. They wake up and they get a real drag of fish, you know, so that, you know, you can't understate how effective that can be at times either. I mean, there's times where we have to fish after dark, but a lot of times we find that morning and evening, but most bodies of water we can get it done. So. so how about like pan fishing? So what kind of things are you looking for when you're pan fishing? It's is it well it's obviously close and same as walleye fishing, but yeah, very similar. When you've got weed lakes, you've got you know, weed bites which are typically shallower, and you've got you know the other primary patterns, you know, deep holes or holes where fish will winter and suspend over. Then you've got your, well, your soft bottom mud basins that will hold a lot of panfish too, because that's typically where you're going to find a lot of tournaments. And so those are kind of the basic broad stool, broad brush patterns that you're going to find in panfish. You know, and obviously bluegills and crappies, a lot of times will be from the same areas or general areas. Sometimes they'll be called pretty close together. You'll look at the yellow perch, they can be doing their own thing. It's hard to find lakes that have good perch and crappie fishing. It's like usually, you know, if one's good, the other one isn't, you know, but uh, it, like our perch lakes out in the Dakotas, which is completely different than the perch lakes in, in Minnesota or Wisconsin, you know, and that's what I think makes hand fish so fun for me and, and all fishing is that you, know, you have the same fish when you go four or five different states and, and you have just such different ecosystems, different fisheries, different bodies of water, completely different forms, pieces, different structures. Different water color, and each lake, each each lake will have its own personality. You know, fish so much differently than the lake that's three miles down the road. You know, and so it's uh, and, and that's probably what I enjoy the most about fishing is seeing all these differences. You know, learning. So, are you fishing a lot, like on the jig rod, or you run traps too? I run a lot of jig rods. I mean, I, I like to move around, and everybody has their own style. I like to be 
aggressive runners, one run, no Wexler, they're not beneath me. No, I find that uh, multiple rods, head sticks, chip downs, what have you, can be really, really effective, uh, especially if you know where the fish are and you know that that's where you're going to be and what you need to be. Um, but if, for big parts of the day, if you, if you don't know that, every time you make a move, you got to just got to pick up more stuff. You know, the fish are either there or activity and signs of life in the fun zone. I form a one rod, trust my electronics, and go, go, go until I, until I find them. There are times where I've seen it over and over, you know, especially like the commercial and some of the crappies too, especially where, you know, just off victim life. And, you know, at the end of the day, a, a small, tiny minnow of a plane hook and a split shot on a, on a tip down or a dead stick will catch fish when nothing else will. You know, there's just times where you have especially sometimes we have low population densities of fish and lots of forage, lots of stuff for these fish to do. That can create some really tough bites because these fish aren't aggressive. They don't have to work for a meal. And with panfish especially, you know, there's times where that type of bite or you know, that, that dead stick saves the day. If you're going to want to run one dead stick, you might as well run as many as you think you can. You know? So that's, that's a strategy at times. But most lakes, most bodies of water where I'm just trying to find fish and catch fish. It's just one rod and people. Just moving around and jigging. Yep. yep. So, the other one, jigging too, is you can pull fish in from a lot further away too. You know? So you increase the water you cover by not just going from hole to hole, but fishing aggressively enough that you can pull fish in from several feet away. You know? And that's the thing is you know, just worry about finding the aggressive fish, finding the easy fish. And if you catch those fish, then you can always lighten up, drop down, downsize, use more live bait, you know, dead sticks, things like that to catch the hard fish. You know, but starting out, I like to try to, you know, my whole mindset is catch the easy ones, find the easy ones. Those will slow you down where you need to spend more time to figure out the worms. So if you were to put together like a box of like a good amount of jigs, what would you recommend? Do you like you like having an assortment of all things, like more like tungsten teardrops or a lot of like the Rapala dancing stuff, or what do you, what do you think is? I I don't carry a lot of tackle to be honest with you. I mean, I can I can fit everything that I would need into a into a wheel cup. I mean, I, you know, I, I love using the horizontal tungsten jigs. I think they move a lot of water. They they uh, with a soft plastic profile, like I'll say, like I was. Number, like this, a number 12 or a number 10 drop jig or tungsten with a, say, a Mackie or a poly plastic, just something for all these fish can see. Now, are there times where you can need a finesse from that and go it out for that? Absolutely. But I like to start out with the heavy tungsten, the horizontal, and moves water and efficiency from the long ways. Now, when fishing is tougher, I find that I'm better off switching to a vertical jig like a teardrop line. Half-hand, something that is vertical. I think what happens is, if you can imagine, I'll see if I can hold my hand. That vertical jig, when the fish are up at it, it's a lot slower profile than what a horizontal jig is. And so it moves less water, less water, and it's just more subtle in the water. And so I've seen that over and over, especially on bluegills, where a tough bite, just going back to that classic vertical teardrop style made you know, typically for wax worms, is still a go to. But for finding fish, covering water, breaking down water fast, that horizontal jig with the plastic just really shines. And a lot of times I catch the biggest fish on there. What I find is that when you're looking for fish, 
a lot of times you can sort fish by size by fishing way up high, way up above the pack, and forcing those fish to get up to you, climb the elevator up to see you. Okay? And say if, you're, if you can get fish and go up, say, two, three, four, five feet from the pack, the fish that are going to get their first fish are the bigger fish. The smaller fish are a lot more timid. They don't like to be the security of the rest of the school. And so that's one way to catch bigger panfish, especially bigger crappies, is to get above them and force those fish up to you. The ones that get to you first usually the biggest fish. And so that being said, you know, you need to have profiles that those fish can see from say three, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten feet away to cause that. If you're fishing a real small finesse, you're not gonna get those fish to rise because they can't see them far enough away, if that makes any sense. And so that's one you know, try to trick to catch bigger pan fish is that horizontal profile, get above them and force those fish up to you. So you, you brought up a really good point with with feeding with crappies and stuff. Don't you want to fish on top of them anyways because they're an up-feeding fish? Usually, yeah. I mean, sometimes, I mean, every day you know, it's going to be different. I mean, sometimes the bluegills will be on top of the crappies will be on the bottom. you got to get through these small bluegills to get them down the crappies. I mean, we've seen that you know, all kinds of times. There's other times where they're all together and the crappies are on top. By and large, on, on most lakes, I mean, I don't care if it's upstate New York or Wisconsin, Minnesota, most places, you know, across the winter, if you want to catch bigger crappies this winter, just fish high in the water pump, much higher than what feels normal. And you will, it isn't a sure thing every day. I mean, nothing is in fishing, but over the course of the winter, I guarantee that you'll catch more big fish by just getting up higher in the water pump. You know, if, say if uh, you're fishing 15 feet of water, and most of your fish are, say, three to five feet off the bottom, get 10 feet off the bottom. You'll get, get up higher. And by and large, that's how we catch a lot of bigger fish. That's awesome. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. That's that's a really good tip. I'm sure you, you sure you want to give that one out? <laughs> that's what we do. <laughs> you still have to call it to do it. <laughs> so when you when you I, I know i'm kind of going through them but like with perch fishing what what are some of the tricks and tips that you you could give for for when perch fishing well same thing i mean every you know perch are such a uh, amazing fish to me because they're so adaptable i mean perch that are uh, say the finger lakes of new york compared to say great lake estuary perch versus say fish in northern minnesota or a flood wisconsin i mean each fish it's almost like a different species, how different they can act. I mean, it's just amazing. Um, you know, our fish out of the Dakotas, you know, they're eating a lot of invertebrates. They're eating a lot of freshwater shrimp. They've got these big, huge bellies, small, tiny heads. They have a mouth that's the size of a Coke bottle. And it's really a finesse bite where these fish are used to eating these tiny little bugs that have no eyes. They can't get away. Okay. Whereas you look out at, say, even like northern Minnesota, and you see like on Saginaw Bay, wherever where these fish are eating shiners, these fish, you know, have these big bodies, but they have these huge heads, mouth like bats, you know, and they have no trouble carrying part of gray fish or eating a four or five inch shiner middle. I mean, they're, they're just a lot more aggressive by nature. You know, their environment makes them that way, you know. And so everywhere you go, you know, birds fishing can really be different. Um, but again, you know, well, key with perch fishing most of the time is finding them when you can find them. You know, they're not well, usually a hard fish to catch. Sometimes they can be, but uh, finding them is a key. And so, you know, be aggressive, be mobile, lots of holes. You know, um, if you're in clear water, don't be afraid to space your holes out. You know, don't drill the holes too five, six, seven, ten feet apart when you can slip the 
effects of water visibility because the fish can see uh, where you're at and also see you five feet away. You also spread your holes out in the water and the fish spoons, you know, something's got a flash and these fish can see from a long ways. And don't be afraid to get that slip off the bottom. You know, even if these fish are coming in on the bottom, don't be afraid to bring it up three, four, five, six, seven feet because those fish can see that from so much farther away. And that's the whole thing is you might have a pack of fish running 20, 40 feet away from you. And it's amazing how many times you can bring those fish over you, you know, by just fishing high so they can see it. Once you get those fish below you, then it's just a matter of getting up and getting back down fast. And if you have friends, that's when you want to have your holes closer together because these perches, like they have attention deficit disorder. If you are out of the water and looking at fish, remaining your boat, casting around, and say a minute goes by, those fish might be 50 feet away already. Whereas if you have somebody fishing, you know, dropping a line down, you can keep those fish underneath you for longer. You know, so that's the thing to be aggressive. Fish, those fish can see and find you. Focus on finding the fish, and when you do, make it count because those fish are moving around. That's awesome. That's actually makes, makes absolute perfect sense. I always wondered that like when you're down there and then they disappear and then they show back up on electronics and you're like, what the hell just happened? They just disappeared. <laughs> yeah. You brought them back, you know, brought them back. That's crazy. Sometimes too, I mean, it's different schools of fish. Sometimes you just have to run traffic or you're just on their trails. I mean, being on a deer trail in a tree stand. I mean, that, that's something with fishing too. Is it's almost like these fish are following an edge or following a trail, a transition maybe. Or maybe they're swimming in a circle, you know, where you catch fish and they leave you. And then 40 minutes later, they get around the end of the circle and you're, they're underneath you again. And you just have to sit and wait. You know, that's, you know, after you found fish. When you find that spot, you got to drill on the holes. And then you just stay right on top of them. Well, if it works, right? I mean, you, you do it until where you wear all your golf. You know, you, you know, a lot of times you, you make big moves to find fish and then small moves to catch fish. So then what, what you're saying is you kind of recommend, so if you're on fish, to put, put a ton of holes in one area and fish that area and then move. Yeah, I mean, if it's working, absolutely. You know, and, and sometimes, too, you just wear out the belt and walk the fish are right below you and move 20 feet away, 30 feet away, and those are a new group of fish underneath that hole. You know? and so, yeah, I mean, a lot of times, usually the fishing gets tougher the longer you sit in a spot. Unless you really have a lot of patience, you can just wait for What kind of uh, electronics are you using while, while you're out ice fishing? I'm a big fan of the Mexlar. Um, it's just, you know, it's a flasher. You know, it's analog, so it's very real-time. You get a lot of information in the signal, which is what I like. And I think what, why we're so popular with ice anglers. You know, I think some people look at flashers like it's this outdated technology. And I remember, you know, yeah, 35 years ago, having a, a Thunderbird Super 60 on the boat. It was pretty amazing at the time, or amazing now, you know, high tech then, you know, but uh, that analog signal though was so crucial because, you know, in the summertime, open water when you're in a boat, that boat's moving, you have waves, uh, you know, transport boats going up and down the waves, and if you didn't have that digitized signal, it'd be really hard to interpret what you're looking at, and so 
summer, and it's it's what you want because it's, it enables you to put, you can put filters on that signal. For example, you get a nice arc indicating a fish, right? And if you ever notice how that's kind of speed sensitive, where if you're just sitting in one spot, you don't get those arcs anymore. If you go too fast, you don't get the arcs. Well, think about that analog signal is that you still have all that raw information. And when you digitize that signal, put those filters on it, you lose information. So that analog signal is very real time. But the best thing about it is it's very, very good at showing or displaying And so you can look at blind spots with blind spots at the bottom of the cone angle. If you have rocks or in the edges of the cone angle, if you have an uneven bottom, for example, things that are normally high fish, you know, you can see that movement. Then you can read the body language of the fish so much better. And then those fish a lot of times don't change their body posture they get ready to strike and it's just see that signal flutter. You know, so that's that's really why so many people like use Vexlon. Gotcha. No. We no. got a question, Steve. No, no I was, <laughs> like, I, I was, I, I'm, I'm sucked in. I'm just kind of yeah. along for the ride at this point. It's, I know it coming from Virginia. There's not very much ice fishing. Yeah, this is all and new Arizona, to me. So, so I'm just taking it all in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I'm from New England. So there's a lot of ice fishing to be done here. And I know the past couple of years have been kind of tough for us. We haven't had much of an ice fishing season, but I feel that we'll have one here. It's going to start probably in the next couple of weeks, at least the next week or so. We're getting real cold, and things are always pretty good here. So so what's your personal favorite fish to fish for? Oh, man, man. I don't know. I love them all. <laughs> I mean, walleyes have always been kind of a soft spot. You know, I love to fish for bass. You know, I love to get fish. I don't know. I mean, I haven't done a lot of fly fishing. Um, I, was, I would guess I'd probably say walleye fishing. I've done the most of it. Probably what I feel the most comfortable doing on the most common that. But uh, I, I've never wanted to be a fish snob either. Right? I'll try anything at least once. But say walleyes. Gotcha. You're not only a hardcore fisherman, you're also a hardcore hunter, also. Oh, yeah. I love hunting. Yeah. How was your deer season? Still hunting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've shot a couple of deer this year. I, I shot a really nice. Uh, mule deer out in Wyoming and uh, shot a deer with my son here earlier this year in North Dakota. But uh, yeah, I'm still bow hunting. So yeah, I, I love bow hunting here. Bow hunting here is probably one of my most favorite things in the world. So. It's a little cold back home to be deer hunting still. Well, the problem is it hasn't been cold enough. I mean, the deer are kind of scattered. They're not coming into food like they normally should be. It's just kind of nice. And so when it gets think i think you'll get it here soon yeah it, <laughs> oh, yeah. it put a foot of yep. snow on me today so it's yeah, headed up we got a pretty pretty bad uh snowstorm here in uh, on the east coast but i have a close friend of mine that's in north dakota also and he said that it was pretty cold there he said it was like yeah 13. well just yeah last couple of days it's definitely got that's awesome so what kind of things you have coming out for this coming up season well, you know, just, at the end of the day, we try to be opportunist. You know, try to just go where there's good fishing happening, there's good bikes, 
try to play too much too far ahead. It doesn't work out that way. Um, I know there's been some good perch bites going down in Northeast or South Dakota, so we're trying to get down that way soon. I'd like to try to get the lake and get some perch and walleye stuff fairly soon this winter. Um, I doubt we're going to be able to get into Canada this winter. I love going up there and fishing the lake trout and doing some other things up there, like Lake Winnipeg and the big walleyes. But uh, I doubt that's going to happen. Uh, and then, you know, some places, you know, we try to do different here, but a lot of places, like we just filmed something in Fort Peck recently, so we probably won't be coming back to this one because of that. But I love, I love that place, especially for the lake trout. I mean, my mind is still the best lake trout for ice fishing over 50. Uh, yeah, I mean, love to look. I mean, there's, I, I love to get back off the Cascade, you know, Cascade, Idaho for those big perch. We did that last winter. Just had unbelievable time, and so I'm hoping to make that trip again. But uh, I'd like to try to get over to Wisconsin a little bit, do some stuff there. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're kind of like the tumbleweed. We're just kind of all the wind. There's some good fish reports, or, you know, a few people call, and, hey, you know, I got buddies scattered all over now at this point, you know, I fish with the people I trust as far as just having good network information. So we get a lot of intel that way, and sometimes people catch fish and get foolish enough to turn on the social media, right? Which yep. we all do. I'm saying that tongue in cheek, but uh, you know, if something keeps popping up or something pops up that's kind of interesting, oh, we've never done that or filmed that or shown that, then you know, try to try to mobilize and get on it. So, so you're, you're just driving home from where? Minnesota? You were up there trout fishing? Montana. Montana? How was that? What, what, what were you guys, how'd that go? It was really cool. I mean, it was, we had a good time. We got some really nice fish, beautiful fish. I mean, just gorgeous colors on them. You couldn't build up for your trout. And then you look up and you're surrounded by these beautiful mountains. It's like a pulse. Another dead Must spot. Have hit a, another dead spot. <laughs> Went behind a hill. There he's coming back now. It's a great freeze frame. Kind of a high mount that we and yeah, it was That's awesome. How do you go about lake trout fishing? What is, what is that? What's the difference between that to what you were doing kind of like in Montana? Well, so where we were at in Montana, you know, we were fishing, say, 12 to 14 feet of water, basically along weed lines. It was very, very similar to how you fish the pools and crappies. I mean, uh, we were using a flasher or a spoon and then putting a six-pound dropper below the spoon, which that's maybe 15 inches that we tie up, like a size 12 or a size 14. A small tiny jig, usually orange, pink, or red. Vegas on a basis, but really a light bite inside. It's more similar than you can fish than, you know, probably anything. Lake trout can be a whole different deal. A lot of times it's a lot deeper water. You might be, say, 30 feet, might be shallow, although I have caught them in less water places and times. Um, but you might be 120 feet of water, so you're a lot deeper. At times, you might be dealing with perch, so you're dealing with you know, bigger uh, profiles, bigger spoons, and swimming more. But 
whether it's a tube jig, whether it's a water stool, and you know, sometimes you're going to use the current. Uh, you know, these fish can you know, follow you up a long ways. So a lot of times it's not just a little quiver and then a little tiny tap of the bite. It's it's big rips. It's you're moving it up 10 feet up to the water column. You see a fish chasing you. The thing with lake trout is a program when you're a predator. Um, if sometimes I think it was a mistake people make fishing lake trout is not pulling the lure away enough or making a little fish aggressive enough to cause a fish to chase. So if you have a fish that comes in, comes out, comes in, it's all over you. You know, a lot of times you just have to reel it to get that lure to get away from the fish. And then that's when the lake trout will come up and hit it. You know, you almost like the activator cause a reaction, you know. And so uh, lake trout, when they're on, they're the most ferocious apex predator on the planet through the ice. But they can also be off. They can also be picky where they'll come in and bump it, come in, come hit and run, hit and run, come in, look at it, leave. And sometimes you just have to wait out those windows where you know, the apex predators, you know, you're not, not, not like you're going to catch them all day. You're going to catch 50 fish in a day. You know, you might have one hour window where those fish are just on. You might get four bites through that window, you know, but one of them might be a 30 pound fish. And so it's kind of a different mentality. It's probably one of the most successful muscle fishing in the way as far as what you're trying to do to get one bite and then understanding that you have to wait out those windows where those fish are making good because they're not eating every day, all day, every hour. That makes any sense. Absolutely. For sure. So I got, I got one question for you, man. What drives you outdoors? Oh, I don't know. I don't like to be indoors. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, that's a great actually, answer. That's actually a great answer. We get a lot of different answers, and I guess that's a really good one. Honestly, honestly, I, I don't like being inside. Oh, he's breaking out. There, he's back. There he goes. Yeah, I, I, we, so we get a lot of answers like, oh, my, you know, the passion of this or my grandfather, but being outdoors because <laughs> you don't like being indoors, that will do it. We lose him again? No, no we're good. Still there. So I guess, is there anything that you want to leave the guests with that, uh, you know, <laughs> oh, you're freezing again. Is there anything you well, kind of want to leave yeah, the people with? You guys. Gotcha. Hear me now? Yep, you're good. Okay. You're probably the biggest thing I'm seeing, you know, the, especially in the COVID-19 world, is that there's more and more people getting outside, hunting and fishing, which is awesome. As far as the outdoor community, I'd welcome, uh, open, uh, welcome anybody into that, into our fraternity of open arms. Uh, but at the same time, too, you know, one thing we're seeing is that, you know, sometimes there's a lack of respect for people, you know, and sometimes people are maybe getting into this for the wrong reasons, you know, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, some beautiful person on Instagram that's, you know, uh, <laughs> just trying to get clicks or, you know, somebody that's just being really rude at the program. And so I always try to encourage people to, to find that passion or that love for the outdoors. But also, too, to respect the resource, respect the industry, and, and do things for the right reasons. And um, because that's the thing is, you know, we can't we can't create any more public land, we can't create any more public water. We have to do a better job of being stewards and being, you know, and treating each other better. So that way, there's enough opportunities for everybody to get out and, and 
have a, a quality experience. Amen gotcha. on that. That's yeah. that's the truth. I I think I think that's you know that's a a rabbit hole that we might not want to go down. But <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying. <laughs> but the, the there's just too many people that are out there just not not respecting one another and especially you know now that the license sales have kind of been up because of covid and everybody's out there you know i always said this was the sportsmen people hunters and fishermen are the most respectful people no matter what but it seems that some of that's kind of the tables are starting to turn and i think that people yeah, need kind of respect not everybody yeah i mean most people are but i do want to be before you ever marry your daughter off of one of these somebody go do running with them for four or five days fish in a tournament i mean to find out everything you need about the person, you know, and so, you know, yeah, I mean, not everybody's a saint, you know, I mean, that's reality, it's that not everybody is, but uh, I think most people are pretty good people, I mean, that's one of the things I enjoy about this industry is that they, you're dealing with hunters and anglers, and they're pretty self they're pretty quality people, most of them, but again, not all of them, so. Right. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, one other quick question I wanted to run by you, coming up, you know, you got Christmas, do you have any uh, Christmas traditions in the outdoors that you want to pass along? Well, I don't know. Usually the kids are home from school and uh, we're trying to, you know, do something outside. My son has really fallen in love with travel, okay? And so he's just crazy about trapping and it doesn't matter what it is, muskrat, wingrat, piles, whatever. So I know that when he's off from school that we're going to be doing some of that stuff, you know, but uh, other than that, you know, we just biggest things are all together. You know, I'm on the boat quite a bit, so you know, Christmas is break, Christmas vacation, trying to be at home and just be home and be a dad and a husband. So I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. That is great to hear. And uh, I'm sure you're going to look forward to that after all the time on the road. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, again, we can't thank you enough for jumping on here for sharing some of your expertise and, uh, it's definitely not a topic that's been really touched on in the podcast world. So again, thanks for sharing it. I hope a lot of people uh, listen to this and it piques their interest. I know mine is uh, Trev. I'm going to yeah, put you to work. So well, we appreciate the opportunity. Thanks guys. Hey, anytime. Want to miss you or wish, miss you. Yeah, I hope I miss you, but I want to wish you and your crew there a Merry Christmas and hope you guys have a safe rest of your ride. And uh, for all the listeners, same to you. Merry Christmas. We hope this is an absolutely incredible time of year for you and your families. Um, if you know someone in need, give them a hand. If you're in need, let somebody know. You know, there's no need to be in it alone. And in the meantime, thanks for taking the ride right here on the Outdoor Drive. There's Christmas dinner, boys and girls. Here comes a shooter. Shooter. Big buck. Well, I'll be at Rudolph himself. Get the camera. If that ain't Santa, I'm shooting. What would you like for Christmas? The dirty point buck. <laughs> that ought to do it. 
If we shoot anything else in this intro, we're going to start 2021 in a food coma. Ho, 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 ho. Merry Christmas.